Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Ladder Life Insurance. Learn more at ladderlife.com slash Apple Insider. And Smart Asset. Get your free personalized retirement planning report at smartasset.com slash Apple Insider. And the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. Get 15% off Nebbia products at nebbia.com slash Apple Insider. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me from across the pond, my friend, William Gallagher. How you doing, William? I, I'm really well, thank you, but I, I can't talk. Sorry, I'm trying to work out whether I want a pink iMac or a blue one, and it's occupying me terribly. How are you? I'm doing well. We are going to get to those <laughs> colors in a minute. You know, I wanted to do a follow-up. Last time you were on the show, you had talked about your 5G speeds that you were experiencing in the UK, and we actually had a listener write in and send us a screenshot that was getting upwards of like 900 megabits down wherever they were in England. And I was curious, how are the 5G speeds now after several weeks of you using them? Not as uh, visibly variable, if that makes sense. Uh, there were times uh, I... Originally, of course, I checked because it said 5G and I didn't believe it. And then it's all these amazing results. And then later, I thought, have I just got used to this? It seems so slow. So I checked again and then found it was really low, uh, lower than I had on 4G. So I, I was checking back and forth. And it's got to the point where I don't bother now. It's kind of at least consistently good. Uh, I was running a um, six-hour workshop uh, since we last spoke all over Zoom. 25 odd people on it, video feeds everywhere, all sorts of things going on. And my Wi-Fi died, but I was able to tether to 5G and it did it better. So I blessed 5G then and I've, <laughs> I've become absurdly used to it. We, we don't appreciate things, do we, when we've got them? So when we haven't. <laughs> that is true. That's true. You know, it's funny, my power went out randomly at my house and you really don't think about how many things use electricity until you don't have it it's <laughs> pretty wild true. oh <laughs> frightening thoughts <laughs> yeah exactly well let's get into some of the rumors and leaks that happened this past week leaker john prosser you know well-known leaker he's leaking all the stuff he was the original air tags renderer well now he's released two new images one is of the 2021 iMac redesign and another of the smaller Mac Pro. And we'll get to both of those in a second, but I want to focus on the iMac real quick. This physical redesign, this is going to be the first time the iMac has been physically changed in a number of years. We've kind of had the same iMac design for a long time. And this design, I'll put the picture as the chapter art. So if you're listening in your podcast player, you should see what it looks like now. But I'll do my best to describe it in audio form. It is a square-edged iMac, almost looks like a monitor, which, you know, again, there's rumors that Apple might do a cheaper monitor. I could see it looking like this. But it is a much smaller bezeled iMac, square edges, no Apple logo on the front. So the bezel on the front, you know, really just looks like a big iPad, basically, if you could imagine that. Stand looks similar to the current iMac. And again, squared off back. So currently, the iMac is that rounded back. This is totally flat on the back with the ports in the normal spot. But notably, he says it's going to come in five different colors. Now, to me, I came into the Apple world kind of right after Apple really started doing colors. You know, the most colors we got was like the black or the white plastic MacBook. I was kind of into Apple after the whole colored eMac phase. So having a colored desktop option seems wild to me. But five colors, white, black, that seafoam, teal, green the blue and the kind of rose pink, same colors as the iPad Air. It would be closer to that 
colored uh, lime, but it's supposedly a 24-inch screen. He says it's probably not going to have Face ID, which, again, is a huge miss, I think. I think it's it's so time for Face ID to come to a Mac or desktop. I really hope it comes soon. But William, tell me, what do you think about this design, squared off edges, and the colors? Well, weirdly, actually, when you said that about Apple and colors and the Emacs things, I remember, you know, the 1990s, the Emacs that saved... Apple with all these incredible colors. Uh, I get that they were very popular and they were very good machines, but I always found them extremely ugly. I thought they were very bulbous and (laughs) horrible. And now I'm on my own there. Um, I didn't think about the colors. It was the shape I disliked. So surely I would like this one, uh, the nicer, newer, flatter, more aesthetically gorgeous design in different colors. And I think I do, except looking at the renders of this, I think, I imagine the bezels are still going to be black on all of them. So as you look at the screen all day, it's going to be like an iPhone that you put in a case, you know, gorgeous color when you got it out the box and then you never see it again. You'll see the stand, I guess, kind of below the oh, true. the screen. So oh, that's true. You have a little splash of color, but yeah, it's for other people. You know, it's like the Apple logo. It always faces away, whether you're on a MacBook or MacBook Air or whatever. It's to, it's to signal to other people that you have the, uh, the iMac. Mind you, back in those ni- days of the 90s, I was working on a PC magazine and it was excruciatingly boring at times because we'd have these big cover meetings to decide which machine was going to go on the cover. And it was always the newest and the fastest. Of course it was. But it was always 5% faster than last month's and 10% greyer. It was just such boring boxes. So uh, <laughs> I'm up for colour. Yeah. So you would actually get one of the, the coloured versions, like the green, blue or the pink? No. Because of the 24 inches. Oh. <laughs> that, that's, that stops oh. me already. Um, but the colours, I mean, yeah, I, I would not go for a boring space grey machine if I had the option. Um, but I know it's a separate thing. Uh, the 24 inches thing genuinely stops me being interested in this. But the colours uh, I like. I remember thinking when the MacBook came out, the first MacBook, uh, you know, with the butterfly keyboard, that version, the, uh, the pink one looked so pink online. But then when you see one in the flesh, it's so <laughs> gorgeously done, rose gold. Yeah, I, yeah, if I had the money in my hand, it would have been handed over in that Apple store that day just for the color yeah i don't know if i would choose one of these colors you know i do like a discrete machine to work on i go with the space gray macbooks and all that now so i might go with that black whatever but i do like this design the squared off edges the newer ipad pro aesthetic in the screen and depending on the chip series there's rumors that it might be the m1x or whatever next model up apple silicon will be in these new desktops this is a very tempting machine my imac is 2015 it is definitely long in the tooth i don't have a problem with the smaller screen because my imac right now is 21 and a half inches so this is um tempting if it actually comes as soon as maybe a march event we'll have to see funny when you just said about the flat edges that suddenly reminds me i remember phil schiller revealing the design of the imac in what 2012 or so so the version we've had since and the way he turns it on its side angles it so carefully that you don't really notice the 
bulbous back. Uh, back to the word bulbous. Yes, word. exactly. In this case, he could just swivel it around and go, duh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, the other image that John Prosser released was of the redesigned smaller Mac Pro. We've heard these rumors from German and others in the past several months, but this is going to be a smaller version of the Mac Pro featuring Apple Silicon. And this image is really, it's an aluminum cube, it looks like, maybe rounded uh, corners. And that's about it. There's there's not really much to see here. It's just an Apple logo on aluminum. It would be curious if this actually comes as a smaller Mac Pro, if it will have as much expandability as the current Mac Pro with graphics cards and storage options and things like that. Curious, we'll put a link to the article in show notes. You'll see both of those images and let us know if either of these tempt you or if you like these designs. Also, some of the rumors that came out this week was Ming-Chi Kuo talking about the redesigned MacBook Pros and how they're going to be regaining the SD card slot and HDMI port. This is an echo of Mark Gurman. He also mentioned that some of these legacy ports would be coming back to the MacBook Pro. In addition to some rumors of the 14-inch redesign of the MacBook Pro. You know, right now we still have the 13-inch and the 16-inch, only the base level with Apple Silicon. Looking like as Apple Silicon comes to the higher-end MacBook Pros, they might be getting that mini-LED screen technology and also the a redesigned smaller MacBook Pro. They have that 14-inch, so there's less bezel and all that. Again, no telling about Face ID or anything like that, but curious about the SD card reader and HDMI port. Again, I don't have a basis for this, but I feel like a full-size HDMI port in a new 14-inch MacBook Pro, I don't see that happening. Maybe an SD card that feels reasonable, but I just can't imagine Apple going back and putting an HDMI port in their laptops. What do you think, William? Possibly this is just my ignorance, but I don't really understand what the benefit of HDMI is. When you're connecting monitors through other ways, What's the advantage of HDMI? I mean, I've got it on my Apple TV and I connect it HDMI to my TV set. I'm not unhappy with HDMI. Right. But do, <laughs> what, should I be craving it for reasons that I just don't understand? I imagine in a lot of like corporate settings that there's lots of meeting rooms with an HDMI cable sticking out of the conference table. And so maybe, you know, people are giving a lot of PowerPoint or keynote presentations. I could see someone wanting the built-in HDMI port rather than having to use a dongle. But I think the use cases there are a lot less than an SD card. I could see lots of photographers, videographers, and people that are especially traveling with MacBook Pros. You know, I think of photographers like Austin Mann or Jeremy Cowart, who would probably love to have an SD card slot in their Mac. And of both of those, I rarely use an HDMI anything. I can't even remember the last time I used a dongle for an HDMI port. But an SD card reader, I definitely use a dongle a lot for that. And I would love to have one of those built in again. It is an aesthetic downgrade having another big slot in the computer, but I think that one's worth it. I realized uh, I've, I've been on yeah, BBC uh, photography shoots in studios. It's a long time ago now. And uh, the photographers tethered the camera directly to their MacBooks or PowerBooks or whatever they would have been then. And I, I don't know what they used for that connection. I just know that they really liked being able to get everybody around the screen immediately <laughs> uh, while you still had the, the actor available and things to shoot if it didn't work out. I'm, I'm, I've got to find one of those photographers and ask, how did you do it and how are you doing it now? <laughs> I think it's uh, just USB. I think it's software on the on the computer side that oh, can, you know, pull in those images that quickly. Remove the magic. Why don't you? I thought oh, sorry. <laughs> 
Sorry, sorry. No, it's actually a Firewire 800. That's how they're doing it. Okay, that's, the only that's way better. Right, thank you. I don't know if that's more... Yeah, that's more magical. <laughs> yes, it's got Firewire in the title, yeah. So we'll put all the links to those rumors in show notes. Again, it's looking like maybe, maybe not. There'll be something in March. You know, even after last week's episode, we talked about how the March 16th date had been swirling as a rumor, and then... Mark Gurman said there's no event on the 16th, but not saying there's not an event another day in March. So hard to know if there's actually going to be an event. Is it just going to be press released products? Hard to know, but it does seem like something is coming in the month of March. It could be AirTags. It could be a new iMac or anything in between. So we'll see. I'm still holding out for the iPad Pro, as is William, because <laughs> he's hoping my old one makes it across the pond. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see. I don't even have to say it anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're just want to plug that it's in It's in your head. This is yep, it. I know, I know. I just say all the gaslighting, all the <laughs> gaslighting is starting to work. It's troubling. This episode is brought to you by Ladder Life Insurance. If there's one thing I've learned in this past year of COVID-19 and the pandemic is that life is precious and it can also be fragile. I myself have a wife and kids. And when I think about all the things that I'm responsible for financially, I want to be sure that if something happens to me personally, that there's not a huge financial burden on my wife and kids. That's why it makes sense to get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. You can pay just a little bit every month to protect the ones you love. So if you've been considering life insurance, and I highly recommend you do, you should choose Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes. You can do it on your phone or a laptop. And when you apply online, Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time so you can find out if you're instantly approved. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel it at any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. Again, I could tell you from personal experience, having life insurance gives you a peace of mind. So check out Ladder today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com slash Apple Insider. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash Apple Insider. Ladderlife.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Our thanks to Ladder for sponsoring this episode. So one of the other leaked images that came out was a redesigned AirPods. These are not new AirPods Pro. These are just AirPods regular or just AirPods, whatever you want to say. We're on generation two right now, which look like the first generation AirPods, but have the wireless charging case and some additional features. But this is supposedly AirPods 3, not Pro. It looks as though they don't have silicone tips like the Pro, but their physical shape and look is like AirPods Pro. So it looks like an AirPods Pro without a silicone tip. So maybe just you know, sitting in the ear like normal AirPods. Not many details, but the image is, I mean, it's a picture of something. This is not a render. So it looks like someone has actually taken a picture of these. And curious, you know, it could be AirPods 3, it could be AirPods Air. I don't know what they will call it. But I am curious about these because I actually have use cases for both my regular AirPods. I have the AirPods 2 and my AirPods Pro. I like using them for different scenarios. Sometimes the AirPods Pro, I don't know, do you have a pair of AirPods Pro? Yes. I do. And I have uh, AirPods 1, uh, which I will use whenever I can't find the Pro and have remembered to charge up the 1. That's a very specific use case. Um, What do you use them for? Right, right. Well, so the AirPods Pro with the built-in silicon tips that it comes with, or silicone tips... See, I got yelled at for for silicon versus silicone the other day, and so now I don't know. I don't know what they are. 
William, is it silicone tips? Oh, don't get me into this because you know it's going to be different in the UK to the US. So we're just making it more and more complicated. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. The the, uh, the rubber tips, I'm going to call that's them rubber. The they're, they're not really rubber, but the rubber tips on the AirPods Pro, I find that they fit in my ear, but they don't stay in my ear. They don't hold. And I go grocery shopping. And when I go grocery shopping, I like using the noise cancellation. But the AirPods Pro with the rubber tips will have to be reseated in my ear often. So I bought these third-party tips that are like the earplug-style foam that expand, and the AirPods Pro still fit in the case and all, and they're they're discreet, but you squeeze the tip, and then you put it in your ear, and then it expands a little bit like an earplug, and that actually works a lot better for me than the rubber tips that came with the AirPods Pro. So I like them, for noise canceling, but they do take a second more to put in your ear and have sit there. So sometimes when I just want to throw in AirPods because I'm just about to wash the dishes or do something around the house and I don't care to like squeeze and roll the tips and put them in my ear and wait for them to expand, I'll use the regular AirPods because they just sit in my ear. I don't have to, there's no squishiness or anything like that. And, and they stay in my ear. I don't have a problem with them. So I feel like I have use cases for both. And if these AirPods 3 come out like they are in this render with no tips, they just sit in your ear like the older AirPods 2 models, I think I'd be interested in it. I'd like to get them to add to the AirPods lineup that I have myself. Do you find the AirPods Pro actually stay in your ear with those rubber tips? I'm surprised to say no. At first, uh, they very clearly did. But I have had a couple of occasions, funnily enough, going around supermarkets where one has fallen out. And as I've bent over to try desperately to catch it, the other one's fallen out with it as well. And I'm scrabbling around <laughs> aisle nine. I don't know why it should have deteriorated. I find them more comfortable right. than the original AirPods. And the original AirPods look so old now in comparison, so passe, really. Uh, but I haven't gone back to the old ones enough to try to see whether they're any better. I've got to do that. No, I do too. And, and they sound great. The noise cancellation is amazing. And me using these foam tips really help the use case. I, I use them more often because of them. I'll put a link in show notes. They're from comply, C-O-M-P-L-Y, complyfoam.com is the website. But they come with these little foam tips that expand. And I, I find it really makes the AirPods Pro stick in my ear and I never have to worry about them coming out, even if I'm walking around a grocery store. So that's a, that's a freebie. I'll put that link. Uh, well, they're not free, but they're not too expensive either. So Never mind, that, that analogy got tortured. So anyway, I'll put a link in show notes to that and uh, you all could try it. Now, I wanted to cover this M1 Mac SSD controversy. So if you haven't seen this going around Twitter and if you didn't see the article, Mike and Malcolm did research on some of this. And I know the guys at ATP talked about it, but there is a third-party tool called Smart Monitoring Tools, and you can install it on your M1 Mac. And there's people running this utility, finding that there are high amounts of writing to the SSD on their M1 Mac, way more data than it seems that they would use typically. I mean, we're talking about like hundreds of gigabytes in an hour for someone who's not doing like video work and not copying huge files constantly. And the thing about SSDs is there is a usable life span to SSDs. Obviously, spinning hard drives, there's a usable lifespan too, because it's physical, you know, with a needle on a disc and that's imperfect and they would fail. But SSDs also have a usable lifespan. And using this tool, some users are finding that the SSDs in their M1 Macs are already at like one to three percent 
usage lifespan of their SSDs in only, you know, a few weeks to a month or two of use, which would be a little concerning if you're already at 3% of your SSD lifespan and you're only a month in to your M1 MacBook usage. So that'd be concerning. But there is some controversy as to whether or not this tool, the smart monitoring tool, is actually giving accurate data about the built-in SSDs. Apple uses great SSDs in their Macs. You know, they're not using, you know, bottom-of-the-line SSD parts. They're high-quality SSDs, so it would seem strange that their lifespan is seemingly being shortened heavily by whatever's going on. And again, because this is a third-party tool, its results, it's hard to corroborate and really confirm that this is accurate or happening. And Apple Insider actually had a source within Apple and didn't go on record and was not necessarily authorized to speak on behalf of the company. But they said that they're looking into the reports and that we should know that the smart data being the application that people are using, is being reported to the third-party utility is incorrect as it pertains to the wear on our SSDs. So this person inside Apple is saying that the, the data is incorrect, basically, that it's being given uh, by the smart data utility. So again, it, it seems strange, these results that people are getting, but I don't think we're at a place yet where there should be any concern. You know, if you do download this and run it on your Mac and you find that, you know, oh my goodness, I'm already like 3% on my SSD lifespan, I would wait to see if Apple actually releases an official statement or if there's some kind of update about some of this data. So, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that, William? Or? Well, I'm wondering about it. Have you run that thing on, on your, your M1? I thought about it, and I went to the Smart Monitoring Tools website, and I don't know, when it looks like this website looks, no shade, I'm not inclined to install this utility on my M1. <laughs> I, just, okay. I just, I don't care to do it. You know, I do some funny things on my Macs. I've run Homebridge and I have some third-party tools, but this, I was like, I'm good. I'll wait to see what other people come yeah, up with. There are limits. Yeah, I, we all have our boundaries. I suppose I can't run down the line of saying, that sounds really bad. You know, you should get rid of that M1. I'll look after it for you. No, Wrap it in right. the iPad. Yeah, I'll take care of it. You know, <laughs> uh, I can't really do any of that. So I, I think it's just nonsense, yeah. really. I mean, I know it could, could be correct, but just the chances that it, it's a utility has not been updated for a radically new platform seems so hard. That Apple quote, that guy, uh, man or woman, whoever it was, sounds quite shifty, actually, about it. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, I'm sure that's just Tim Cook was walking by while they were on the phone or whatever it was, and they couldn't say it. Sure, sure. It'll be sorted out next release of that software, rather than anything I think maybe Apple has to do. Right, right, I imagine so. So we'll put a link in show notes to that article by Malcolm and Mike, and you can see some of the, the research that has gone into that. This episode is brought to you by the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. Guys, you've heard me talk about the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower before, and I have to tell you, I am still using it, and my family and myself still love it. If you haven't heard about them before, they originated in Mexico City, where water shortages were a big problem. They came to Silicon Valley to raise money, and none other than Tim Cook, Apple CEO himself, was Nebbia's first investor. The product was developed by former Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers to create a superior shower experience while saving water. And get this, Nebbia has saved over 175 million gallons of water since its inception. 
Now, you might be like me, and you're not super do-it-yourself, and you've never really installed a shower, but let me tell you, swapping out the shower head to the Nebbia by Moen Spa shower is an incredibly simple process. It really just took me 15 minutes. They give you everything you need in the box, all the parts and the screws and the adhesive things, and the instructions are super detailed and step-by-step. -step. I was able to swap it out super easy, but once you get this thing installed, it's going to give you an incredible shower experience. It actually atomizes the water molecules and it envelops you it basically feels like a spa rinseability is incredible and i learned this term from them the thermal comfort meaning it gets really hot and it feels really great is amazing in the nebbia by moen spa shower this is nebbia's most affordable shower yet it starts at just 199 and you can get this like magic wand attachment and i highly recommend the wand i got it it magnetically attaches to this little dome that you stick on your shower it's really fun and again everyone in my family loves showering with the Nebbia by Moen spa shower. The shower also looks great in your shower. It comes in multiple colors. I got the brush to nickel. It's fingerprint resistant. The shower looks great. I also got the shower shelf that goes on the side of the shower. You can put the shampoos and hang stuff from it. And I also got these little towel hooks. They all match. They're all in the brush nickel. So all of these things look great in the shower. And again, it's a great shower experience. Again, even my kids, who some of them didn't really love taking showers before love taking showers with the nebbia by mo and spa shower also it's height adjustable which is great for kids and adults if you have varying heights you can actually just raise or lower the shower head and it works great so right now you can get 15 percent off nebbia products because you're a listener of the apple insider podcast nebbia doesn't usually do sales and this is a great opportunity we're so glad they've partnered with us for such a long time so you can go to nebbia.com slash apple insider that's n-e-b-i-a.com slash Apple Insider, all one word. Take a look at what they have and use the coupon code Apple Insider, all one word, when checking out. That's nebbia.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Nebbia for sponsoring this episode. Now, this rumor came out about Final Cut Pro, and a trademark suggests that the company might be eyeing a subscription model or some kind of add-on to Final Cut Pro. And, and this immediately hurt my heart, William, because I'm a longtime Final Cut user. I was a Final Cut Express guy back in the day, and I've bought Final Cut, and I've bought Logic Pro, and I use MainStage in a workplace. And I love that those pieces of software have been purchase once and you just own them forever. Unlike how Adobe has gone with their creative suite, you know, all the Adobe applications are subscription now. Microsoft with Office, all subscription-based. And I thought surely Apple will not go that route for things like Final Cut. But I also feel like this rumor has some credence with the Apple services bundle, the Apple One, and how Apple is really going for that uh, services revenue and profit. I could see this happening, but William, I really don't want it to happen. This this would make me very sad. Final Cut Pro is is a joke, really. The price fit is so little for how many right. six or seven years. I mean, use, there are, I have spent more money than Final Cut Pro costs on, on a day of uh, certain types of work and things. So that I have it and it's just there forever and constantly being brilliantly updated. I don't want it to go to subscription. I would like to stay with it as it is, but actually, ultimately, I'm fine if it does. I realize now, actually, just exactly as you were saying it, I thought, 
yeah, if it comes out in a new version and there are features I want, I'm going for it. But uh, Final Cut and Motion as well, being 50 quid instead of After Effects being, what, 600 odd a year or something, whatever it is. $10 a yeah. month or 20 Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apple radically underprices Final Cut Pro. And in a way, I think that maybe diminishes it. It doesn't seem like as big a serious tool as something you have to pay a lot of money for. And it truly is. I utterly adore it. Um, so I will follow Final Cut Pro wherever it goes. And I will too. I mean, I will pay for it regardless. I actually just found the old article announcing the Final Cut Studio 5.1 from 2006. Now, if you don't remember, Apple made Final Cut Express, which was still like that three to $350 range, but they also sold Final Cut Studio. I actually believe I have the box somewhere. I'll have to take a picture of it or something. But William, guess how much, maybe you know for sure, but how much do you think Apple sold Final Cut Studio 5.14 for in 2006. In 2006, I don't know. Um, I have a feeling back in those days, software would have been at a reasonable price. So I'm going to say £800 just popped into my head. Oh, I don't know what the dollar equivalent uh, would be. Um, so if I've got this totally wrong, it's a conversion rate issue, nothing else. What was it? <laughs> sure, sure. It was, at least here in the US, it was 1300 US dollars right. for Final Cut Studio. That's, I'm not that far out. Oh, yes, of course I am, because Apple always, uh, forget the conversion rate, Apple just changes the dollar sign to a pound sign, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whatever's going on. So yeah, it would have been 1300 pounds. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, I will say to your point, I do think it is undervalued. You know, when Final Cut Pro 10 came out and there was the huge controversy about all the features that were missing as compared to Final Cut 7, you know, the, I think the pricing was really geared at, you know, letting people know we understand there's some features not here, so it's 300 bucks. But since then, Apple has really added a lot of the features back. I think now it is really robust. It's used by people like MKBHD and even like major studios. So Final Cut today is very powerful. And I bought it for $300 when it came out and I still own it. So I totally get, you know, if there's an upgrade pricing or if there's like Final Cut Pro 11, you know, maybe we can pay something. I, I feel like I would still opt for like a $300 upgrade fee so I don't have to pay per month. But the, the per month thing, I guess my question to you, William, is what is the threshold where the per month subscription cost for something like Final Cut cut would it be too much where you'd be like no i'm i'm not going to do it would it be like 30 pounds or well something else the, the trouble is uh there is a slight more complexity in that in the one hand uh yes i know overall you're paying more but the ability to not lay out quite a lot of money in one go is is very handy i'm a freelance writer so you know being able to control the fact that it's sure. 30 a month or whatever. But then there's also a how much do I use it? I was having a discussion about Adobe InDesign and I worked out that I use InDesign quite extensively for three months out of the year and I don't ever use it for the rest of the time. <laughs> Final Cut Pro, there are not a week has gone by in ages that I haven't at least used it for one project or another. So constant use, it's worth more to me. Right. I think I'd start getting itchy around 40 or 50 a month Oof. and even then below that I'd, I'd i'd have to really carefully think about it but if it was the 20 of uh, some adobe product well i think it's with adobe you can get one thing for 20 but the moment you need a second one it's suddenly 50 for the lot so if it was final cut pro and then an extra bit for motion <laughs> right there's right. a can of worms that you've opened up here uh, in there really and it might all <laughs> just be somebody at apple ticking a box by mistake 
in the trademark filings thing. Uh, yeah, that is true. That is true. So we'll have to see. Listeners, let us know if Final Cut wins subscription, how much would you pay for Final Cut month to month? I'd be curious. You know, and they could always expand the Apple One services bundle to include pieces of software. I mean, technically, you could say Fitness Plus is software and a service. So you could add like Apple One Creative Bundle where you get Logic, Main Stage, Final Cut, and I mean, I don't know about you, William, but I would love to see Aperture actually come back. Oh, I actually loved using Aperture, Aperture back yes. in the day. And this is the second conversation I've had this week about uh, wishing Aperture would come back. Lightroom is great. It's fine. But I really got into Aperture and, and I kind of haven't really moved over to Lightroom. I just kind of let the photographs lie. Fellow, yes. Yay for Aperture. Aperture for Apple Silicon. Yes. I would... Yes. That's a Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I would love to see that come back. I mean, I have still have Aperture libraries from when I did traveling, and I just never cared to do anything with it. You know, you can make them into like photo libraries, but that's not a great experience. So anyway, Apple, if you're going to make Final Cut Go subscription, at least bring back Aperture. That's my plea. All right. Now, Spotify announced that they are adding a high-fidelity lossless audio stream plan to their music streaming service. Now, this was something that kind of, when the AirPods match came out, people were wondering, is Apple going to release some kind of high quality or lossless music plan to Apple Music? Still no word on that, but Spotify is doing it and there's no announcement on pricing or availability. They just say it's rolling out in select markets later this year, but this is going to be Spotify, Hi-Fi, lossless audio streams. And you know, my my curiosity about this is, are people going to sign up for this and not even have the equipment to really take advantage of it? Or, you know, is the pricing going to be such that it's prohibitive unless someone has like the audio file set up? I'd be curious, you know, if me using AirPods Max, if I, I don't use Spotify, but if I did use it on my iPhone and my Macs and I had AirPods Max, would it be able to take advantage of this hi-fi lossless audio stream? Be curious if that would, you know, be interested in that for Apple Music. I don't know if I'm that much of an audiophile to care, but I don't know. William, would you spring for some kind of lossless audio music? I like the idea. Um, I don't think uh, discerning enough to tell the difference, just in the examples I've tried uh, in the past. I mean, I've liked the um, uh, lossless uh, copies of albums I've got. They've felt oddly fuller than some of the MP3 versions, but that could just be those albums, and that certainly wasn't a consistent. I just, I like the idea of higher quality and higher and higher and higher. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I imagine, I hope, that we'll make higher quality equipment more available, more common, more cheap, really, in the end, when we've all got it. And that's all ultimately a good thing for us all but i'm not going to say swap to spotify for it while i'm still using my airpods yeah for sure if you sent me your airpods max to try it out i mean just because frankly it's starting to become sensible <laughs> now isn't it just one parcel with all these things then then i that's right just one huge box you know what i'm like if you want me to try something i will go to the end of the earth to use your equipment to do it and sure. i'm just like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you'll take one for the yeah. team yeah. i appreciate that now anchor has announced a wireless battery that attaches to the iphone via magsafe this is something i've been curious if it's going to come out when it's going to come out and they finally announced it it's shipping in march but you can pre-order it now on amazon and so this is a Anchor external battery pack charges via USB-C, but it has MagSafe built in. So you can literally just snap it on to the back of any iPhone 12 and it will 
charge your iPhone as an external battery pack, but do it wirelessly over MagSafe. Now, it's not going to do it fast. It uses basically like a 5-watt charging speed, so it's not going to be fast, but it's just sticking to the back of your phone, so you're not tethered anywhere. You don't even have a MagSafe puck with the cable sticking out. You just have this battery pack stuck to the back of your phone. Now, they're saying you can recharge an iPhone 12 mini to full one time with the external battery pack, and it can charge an iPhone 12 Pro Max to 75% from zero. So you won't get a full charge if you have the biggest iPhone 12, but the convenience of having a MagSafe battery pack that could just stick onto the back of your phone, really tempting. I, I pre-ordered it, and so I'll be getting it sometime in March, but I don't know. Looks really cool. I'm curious to try it. Well, I think Anchor's great. I, right next to me, I have various of their charges I've bought over the years. So I like them very much. And in fact, to the extent that I don't buy anybody else's uh, charges, so hopefully one doesn't need to keep buying charges. I just, I'm a little wary of um, smart cases and smart batteries because I got one, Apple's one for the i6, would it be? Can't remember when the first one was. And I just, mm. you know, it's lying on the shelf in front of me now and won't fit any other iPhone ever. So it feels like an expensive short-term addition. You know, and I I feel that pain because I got battery cases from Mophie, I think for the iPhone X and the XS or something like that. And I had the battery case, but they don't fit any of my phones anymore. And so either they sit in a drawer, which I think mine currently is, or you give them away. But the difference here is with a MagSafe style battery pack like this, you know, if the body style changes in the iPhone 13 or 14, if they still have MagSafe, which I would imagine Apple continue to support them for a while, then you just continue to slap this on the back of your phone. Doesn't matter what case you use, as long as it's a MagSafe case, and you should be good to go. So, you know, hopefully it has a little more lifespan. That's a good point. This episode is brought to you by Smart Asset. Did you know that people who work with financial advisors end up with 15% more money to spend in retirement? No matter what stage of life you're in, thinking about your financial future doesn't have to keep you up at night. Thanks to SmartAsset.com, the service that over half a million people have trusted to help them find a financial advisor that's a free and easy path to financial peace of mind. SmartAsset.com has built a safe and convenient tool to find vetted financial advisors in your area. You know, during the whole pandemic, there's been ups and downs in the stock market, and I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not exactly sure where to invest or what to put money in. And knowing I can find a financial advisor who's going to make decisions in my best interest as the investor, it gives me incredible peace of mind. Here's how it works. You begin by taking Smart Assets short quiz. You can do that at smartasset.com slash Apple Insider. And what I love about the quiz is it really asks questions you might not have even thought of. It asks about what you will prioritize in retirement. What are the things that are important to you, whether it's travel or leisure or saving for your kids' college funds? Even just taking this little quiz will help you start thinking about your financial goals in the future. And within minutes, Smart Asset will match you with three pre-screened fiduciaries, each legally obligated to act in your best interest. They'll also send you a free personalized retirement planning guide with actionable advice so you can feel confident in your next steps. So take control of your financial future today with Smart Asset. To receive your free personalized retirement planning report, go to smartasset.com slash Apple Insider. That's S-M-A-R-T-A-S-S-E-T dot com slash Apple Insider. Your report will provide personalized insights on your retirement readiness. So visit smartasset.com slash Apple Insider today. Our thanks to Smart Asset for sponsoring this episode. 
Now, speaking of MagSafe, I have a funny story about a case that I'd like to share. I just sent you a picture, William. Okay. And I'm about to describe what this is. So I have the iPhone 12, and I have the uh, Belkin 3-in-1 MagSafe charger. It's very nice. But I had the MagSafe Duo, and I wanted to be able for my wife to use the MagSafe Duo charger from Apple. It has a little watch thing, and then the other pad for your iPhone or AirPods. But she has an iPhone 11, which doesn't have MagSafe. Now, that still works with the MagSafe Duo charger, but you have to be very careful with how you place the iPhone 11 on that ring to make sure it charges. And she experienced a couple nights where it didn't fully charge because she moved it or it got knocked off and it wasn't directly on that circle for charging purposes. So using a MagSafe Duo charger with an iPhone 11 is less than ideal. So I had an idea. I thought maybe, maybe someone has made a case For the iPhone 11 that fits the iPhone 11, but has the MagSafe ring in it. So if you put your iPhone 11 in some case with the ring on it, it will align it to the MagSafe Duo charger and the magnet will keep it in the right place all night. So your iPhone 11 still charges all the time and you have to worry about knocking it to the left or right a little bit, but it's the iPhone 11. That's what I thought maybe existed. So I went to Amazon as you do and I searched for iPhone 11 MagSafe case. Thought, let me see. Maybe they have it. And one of the first results, I'm not even going to put the link in show notes and you'll know why in a minute, but I found this case and it said MagSafe case for iPhone 11. I said, well, this might be exactly what I want. So I got this case yesterday and when I take it out of the box, I'm looking at the box that the case is in and it has the silhouette. It's a clear case with the MagSafe ring on it and it says four iPhone 11 Pro clear case magnetic, but the iPhone 11 Pro label is like from a label maker. It's not printed. It's not printed on the box. It's like a little white label sticker to cover where it previously said iPhone 12 and it says iPhone 11 Pro on this label thing. And I said, well, that looks suspicious. Uh, I'm curious what that means. And so I take the case out of the box and it's literally for the iPhone 12. It's got the square side, the the flat side design on the case. And I tried to put my wife's iPhone 11 in this case and it does not fit at all because the iPhone 11 is slightly larger than the 12 and 12 Pro is this year. And so it just doesn't fit at all. And so uh, this is just a general word of warning. Don't believe everything you see on Amazon. That's all I'm saying. (gasps) I'm shocked. You you like like that label? Yes. (laughs) You like that label on the box? Tell you what, you, uh, you and your wife, you can keep that one. Uh, you don't need to send me that. Uh, I'm fine. Okay. Okay. Don't need to send you that. Okay. Probably saved you a bit <laughs> okay. of postage there. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> it's just so so strange. I'll put this. I'll put the pictures of the chapter art so people can enjoy this label maker iPhone 11 Pro tag on this box. Ridiculous. So Google finally updated their apps. They've updated Gmail. And with the update has come the privacy nutrition label that you see in the app store. And you see all the data linked to you. Nothing groundbreaking or terribly uh, suspicious or anything, but they are taking a a ton of data from purchases and location to contact info, user content, usage data, all that kind of stuff. So finally they did it. 
you know, about as nefarious as most other third-party apps that take a lot of your data, but they finally did it, so we don't have to wonder why they are being so cagey about their, their privacy label. It's still relying on everybody telling the truth, isn't it? And I love the flat spin that Facebook got into once some poor soul at Facebook <laughs> truthfully filled out the very, very long list of things it does. <laughs> Stuff. Yes, that is pretty hilarious. I, I realise, actually, uh, I don't use many Google uh, app. So I haven't been that concerned about it, but I'm aware that um, the fact that clearly the Android ones were being updated and the iOS ones weren't, that was bothering me for other people because I'm a mensch. But for me, I was all right. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming out now, isn't it? Right. <laughs> right. So you use the stock mail app then? Yes. Uh, I have so often gone off to try other uh, ones and there are some that have features I long Apple for long for Apple to adopt and yet they're always there's always something else it's always just not quite stable enough or something else gets in the way and I eventually keep coming back to mail and I like at the moment I use mail and uh, Outlook Online for the Writers Guild here in Great Britain and whenever I have to use the Writers Guild one it's like oh. but <laughs> well, now why don't you put that in your built-in mail app because I already I've overcrowded my built-in mail app with too many things Things. And uh, oh, that one actually, okay. Outlook has this thing of every now and again saying, no, I'm not going to work until you've reset your password. And it doesn't bother me with the online version. And I, just th I shouldn't say that. Uh, I'm so concerned about the Writers Guild emails that I change my password daily. You can check. Anyway, can uh, we move on? <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, I, will, I just as a follow-up, I actually, for one of my work emails, it is also Outlook, Office 365. And I find that periodically in the stock mail app, both on my Mac and my iPhone, it'll just stop sending emails. I'll still receive them and they'll come in my inbox and I can read them. But when I try to reply, I'll send it. I hear the little whoosh and I'll filter the email away. And then an hour or so later, I'll look in my sent email box in Outlook on the web and it never actually sent. And I don't know where the email has gone. So I have found that that Outlook, you know, integration or whatever it is with the stock email app, it's not airtight. It is not uh, perfect, Actually, I will say. I, th I mean, I think you're probably right, but there's at least a decent chance it's Outlook because I just said I use the Outlook web app. Uh, it's right, it's a good thing. We had a big financial meeting last week. I put in the proposal I had to, sent it to the group. It told me it was sending it. If I checked my sent items, it said it went and not a single person in that group uh, got it. So uh, I imagine that's more likely right. me. But what can I possibly have done to tell it, to tell me, yes, it had sent when it hadn't? I yeah. don't know. Strange. So Overcast, the popular podcast app from Marco Arment, he updated Overcast with a brand new Apple Watch app. And Overcast is the second most used podcast player to listen to our show. We can see that in the metrics. And so I'm sure a lot of you interested in that. Check out that Apple Watch app. I'd be curious to know what you thought. But I wanted to follow up with you, William. Last time we talked about Pocket Cast as opposed to the stock podcast player app. So William, have you had a chance to try Pocket Cast? And what'd you think? Uh, I'm sorry, aren't we out of time uh, now for... No, oh, no. you didn't I, I, try it. Well, well, no, but I did uh -huh. get it. And then <laughs> I have only, Step one. only been listening to podcasts that don't need me to, to, to... I don't want to skip the opening five minutes, like this one or HomeKit Insider, which you might be aware of. I want to listen to all of that. So the mm, big feature yes, yeah. didn't yes, yes, happen. Yes. And the other thing I can tell you is I did actually get something else. You know that oh, okay. Belkin 3-in-1 charger? 
Oh, yes, yes. Not five minutes ago when you were describing uh, cases and words, I suddenly thought, oh, hang on, I haven't checked the UK store in ages. Maybe it's in. And it is. And I've just bought it. Oh. It will, should arrive the day after this podcast goes out. So have me back to see whether I like it. Oh, okay. wonderful. Looking forward to that. Yes, I'd love to hear your so, thoughts on it. Very cool. So UK listeners, Belkin 3-in-1 now available. For Very nice. £39.95, which is, I think, slightly more than you paid, even given the currency conversion. But for what it is and what it's replacing, I think that's hopefully a good buy. So there you go. I didn't get the... Uh, it's not free, is it, Pocket Casts? It's free with in-app purchases. I don't know what those were. But I did spend £140 right. uh, because of you. So, you know, I listen. Oh, When you tell okay. me something, I mostly listen. Right, right. I appreciate that. It's very nice. All right, well, I thought this was hilarious, this next piece of news. Epic and Apple, you know, they're entering their legal battle, and they needed to contact Scott Forstall, the former senior vice president of iOS at Apple. And, you know, his leaving of Apple was a little rocky, you know, why he left and why Steve Jobs maybe let him go. You know, there was lots of stuff around that. And he's been kind of scarce since leaving Apple. You don't hear a ton about him. <laughs> but when Apple was asked by Epic Games for contact information to provide testimony for Scott Forstall, I think the first thing they gave was like a P.O. box and a Twitter handle. And that's all they had for Scott Forstall's contact information. And I think since then, uh, Apple has said something like it's it's difficult uh, to get a hold of him or something. So I just look at Scott Forstall and I'll say, however he has disappeared from the face of the earth, he did it right. And so we can at least look up to him for that. That's amazing. Yeah, except I find it slightly scary because he went to Broadway. He's been a producer and I believe a really successful one. And I think the fact that you can't find him anymore it says an awful lot about the state of theatre during the pandemic and things. So I, I hope he's all right. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And so last thing before a couple listener questions, For All Mankind came back to Apple TV Plus for its second season. And I enjoyed the first season very much. And so I started this second season. And I just want to say I assumed that Apple was going to drop the entire season at once, like it did a la Ted Lasso and some other shows. But apparently they are releasing a single episode every Friday. And I was Sincerely disappointed when episode two didn't start immediately as, as soon as I finished episode one. So it is, uh, episode one was very good, and I'm looking forward to watching this series, but I kind of was hoping they did the uh, the Ted Lasso thing and just dropped the season all at once, but no dice. But for all mankind, season two, you should check it out. I remember the days when shows were barely made in time to go on air. There's a series here in the UK, uh, it's topical, so it was always going to be at the last second, a show called Spitting Image, which ran with one commercial break. And there were times when the first half was airing and the second half had not been finished yet. That's just in time television. None of this making 10 episodes in advance nonsense. <laughs> The right. kids today. Well, and then also just dropping them one a week. Yes. You know, you, they made all the episodes. Like they could probably drop them all right now. Well, uh, I think one is quite enough for today. You know, go to your room. Think about what all you've right, done right, yeah. and come back next okay. week. <laughs> <laughs> come back next week for another episode. I mean, God, I'm mean, showing my age. Uh, sorry, I just, you make me want to say same bat time, same bat channel. That's all gone now. Oh, oh yeah. Thank you. I know. I remember thank that, you. though. 
I remember that. You're being nice Not now. too old. Okay. Well, a couple things from listeners. I've actually been getting a ton of questions about HomeKit stuff, and so check out HomeKit Insider on Monday when it comes out. We answered a ton of listener questions this week, and we were able to squeeze them all in, so check that out on Monday, HomeKit Insider. But a couple things that people send me about stuff we talked about here on Apple Insider was the LastPass change, make going from a free service to a paid service. Marlon on Twitter actually messaged me saying that he was a user of LastPass, but now that they were going paid, he is going to stop using LastPass. And he actually found another option called Bitwarden. That's B-I-T Warden. I'll put a link in show notes, but it's another password managing app. There's a free tier and a paid tier, but the paid tier is like a few US dollars a year, not a month, a year. So he's actually switched to Bitwarden. Be curious listeners if there are other password managers out there that you guys are using. William, do you use 1Password? I forget. Yes, I'm a 1Password uh, devotee, yeah. really. Now, I'm not surprised about LastPass. LastPass, I mean, I, it's got to be an expensive model keeping what they did. So I feel like it's inevitable. Um, but they are also owned yeah. by LogMeIn, apparently. And to this day, I seethe about the way I bought a lifetime license from LogMeIn. And then they decided that my lifetime wasn't wasn't quite as long as I thought it should be. <laughs> and cancelled it and switched it over. And oh. So... I was surprised how much the seething bile came back uh, about this, but I do understand LastPass. And actually, Bitwarden, all week people have been telling me about Bitwarden. I don't know how we missed it before. It seems to be everybody's favourite now, but they should be using 1Password, which is... Uh, you're a 1Password person. I'm confused now. I can't remember what you oh, said. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I've used 1Password for a long time. And, you know, password management... That's pretty secure area. I want to trust the people I'm paying and and I'll gladly pay for that service. So yeah, I've been paying for one password for a long time and I'll keep doing it. This Bitwarden, it's ten dollars a year. So it is less than one dollar a month if you want to think of it that way. Um and it looks, you know, totally reputable. Again, listener said he was using it. So curious if there's other ones out there. Um I can't remember who it is that's invested in them, but there was a I mean, I've interviewed the people at One Password and I like them very much. Uh so I kind of automatically trust them. But they they wrote a really comprehensive explanation of uh, why they got the investment, what it's going to be used for, and how it will benefit most of us. And it's very explicitly to uh, work on the kind of corporate level versions of 1Password, and there'll be a trickle-down benefit to us in features. Right. And I, I can't remember the details or even where I found that, but I got to the end and I thought, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I believe them completely. That's right. It was, yeah, you were right, though. Is They took a round of funding is what That's it was. That's it. That's and, the phrase. You know, yeah. people, people get a, a little you know, wiry about that when VCs get involved, but it's still been great for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor. And lastly, this was by email. Jeffrey actually emailed a picture of an app clip. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen this out in the wild. This is something that Apple announced. I think it was iOS 13. They showed it at WWDC where you can use or download just a partial piece of an app to, you know, whether it was a parking meter type app or something else. And Jeffrey sent me a picture of this. It is an app clip. It's got the app clip logo. It says, hold iPhone here to pay. It is at a mobile gas station, I believe. And, you know, they have the Google Pay. They have the other QR code. And then they have the app clip. And I'm, I'm curious how it works. I don't know if it, you know, downloads partial of apps so you can pay for the gas right away. But this is the first time I've ever seen an app clip in the wild. I've never even had a chance to use it. I'm going to try and find a mobile station near me that might have something like this. But listeners, if you found app clips out in the wild, I'd be curious what use cases there have been and if you actually tried it and used it. But William, have you seen an app clip anywhere? 
nowhere. I mean, I don't really go out much. We're in lockdown here. <laughs> yeah, nowhere. But um, no. Right. So I started to wonder if they were real. So I was very pleased to see this. So, I mean, I'm <laughs> terribly keen to see how it works uh, and which bits of an app you get. I, I had actually wondered whether or not we were ever going to see it because I'd heard so little about it. So this is really encouraging. Um, are you looking forward to a world full of app clips? I, I don't know. I mean, I will say I have some like two or three random parking apps that help me pay mm. for parking around the city of Tampa sometimes. And, you know, now with the app library on my iPhone, it's not as big a deal. It's not like I have to find a folder to put these apps in. They just live in the app library when I need them. But curious, you know, what other use cases there might be, you know, paying for gas, paying for parking. That's interesting. But, you know, I don't know what else. Maybe food services or restaurants might be some interesting things there. I don't know. I haven't seen many. Uh, I haven't seen any personally. This is the first one. So we'll see. I'll try to find one. Well, everyone, you can tweet your questions or comments. We'd love to hear what you think of the iMac design leak or any of the other stuff we talked about on today's episode. You can tweet at William or myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Follow us there. You can email us. That's in the show notes as well. If you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That'll help us rise the ranks of tech podcasts and be discovered by more Apple fans like yourself. And if you haven't yet, check out Apple Insider Daily. Every day you can hear the top Apple headlines in just a few minutes. And HomeKit Insider, the smart home and HomeKit show here on Apple Insider. That comes out every Monday. Just search for HomeKit Insider in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>